0: Hi, I'm Kim Vu. Welcome to Vietnola, the show about being Vietnamese in New Orleans. Vietnola is our window into our Vietnamese community in New Orleans and a bridge to Vietnam. We're a member of the family of shows on the podcast network itsneworleans.com Xin chào quý vị! Vietnola, chương trình phát hành về cộng động Việt Nam ở New Orleans. Vietnola là một cánh cửa để nhìn vào cộng động ở New Orleans và một cạnh nối với quê hương. Vietnola là một số Jing Zin Chong Chung Ching fab Hang Podcast It's New Today on the show we'll have a conversation with Chris Seng and Christy Rosales Fajardo from Vela, formerly known as the Vietnamese American Young Leadership Association, and Juan Fortinell, a young activist here in New Orleans. According to the U.S. Census data from 2000, nearly 80% of New Orleans residents were born in Louisiana, the highest rate of Native state residents in any American city. While there was a strong, somewhat isolated Vietnamese community in New Orleans East and the West Bank starting in the 1970s, the city was virtually monolingual in 2000. That changed dramatically after Hurricane Katrina for a number of reasons, including the influx of immigrants who came to the city to be part of the labor force of a post disaster reconstruction. This proved to be daunting for monolingual parents and the educators of their children. A communication gap became apparent. In the fall of 2013, the Asian American Legal Defense and Education Fund and the Vien- and VELA f- filed a complaint on behalf of English language learner students and their limited English proficient families against the Orleans Parish School Board. The Recovery Schools District, And charter operators, collegiate academies, Einstein Group, and advocates for academic excellence in education. The allegation asserted a discrimination against them on the basis of national origin and are engaged in discriminating practices in violation of these families' civil rights. Today on the show, Chris and Christy from Vela and Juan, who have have come to share their professional and personal experiences surrounding the issues of discrimination and barriers to access in publicly funded schools here in New Orleans. Everyone, thank you so much for coming to the show. Thank you. Thank you. you, for having thank you. Y'all do a lot of important work and have done uh, have been a force for a very important issue that is. Only now really starting to get recognition in mainstream New Orleans um, I'd like all of you if you could go just go around the table and explain uh, introduce yourself to our listeners and your role with Vela and at or with Vela uh, and in the lawsuit and how you came to this point
1: Hello my name is uh, Christy Rosales Fajardo I am a community organizer at Vela New Orleans um, and I am a community organizer with the Latino community and also with youth leadership um, at Vela New Orleans uh, I work with um, hearing from the parents um, I formerly worked in the um, RSD the recovery school district and Orleans public school system so I had first one you know hand knowledge and what some of the barriers were with language access in our school district. So I just brought that knowledge over to Vela to share and gather some more parents to talk about this issue.
0: Great, thank you.
1: Juan?
2: Um, well, my name is Juan Fortanel. Uh, I'm a youth activist, like you said, but also a youth leader at Vela and slash youth organizer. Um. I guess I started with uh, with the complaint, uh, because my family, um, I guess, was in dire need of in interpretation and translation in schools. Because I would always play the role of interpreter slash translator. So um, that could
0: have worked out for you, though, huh? Uh,
2: that could have worked out for me <laughs> if if the school had, you know, set up a contract and I, you know, you know, signed it. But uh, sadly, it didn't. Um, but that's why I kind of got into this. Uh, you know, youth activism. Because you wanted
0: your parents to be informed. Exactly. Through someone other than you. Yep. Yeah. Chris?
3: Hey, uh, so my name's Chris Sang. I am Vela's education director. Um, I work with amazing people like Christy and Juan every day, just kind of supporting our campaigns from language access, which we're talking about today, but also to our community schools campaign, where we're trying to... um, reopen our neighborhood high school, Sarah T. Reed, which has just closed um, the end of this school year as a neighborhood school in about a year or so, hopefully. Getting the community engaged in that, Um, as well as our kind of community park campaign, which we're revisiting um, There's a park in Velaz de Les, where Vela's located, Mm -hmm. um, behind Einstein's um, school, which has been in the process of being fixed and reopened for a number of years now. And so now we're just kind of working to push the city to finally complete it, get it reopened with the basketball court, football field, soccer field, uh, playground. So the young people and, and, and their families can actually use that because right now it's gated up and if you wanna go inside you have to hop a fence. So hmm. uh, those, are the, those are the central campaigns that we're working on. I help to facilitate that.
0: Great. A little bit of uh, background of the organization. We've actually had a few folks either on from the board or actually youth organizers Timmy Vo and Tung Le from the board uh, on our show. The organization used to be an abbreviation for it, the Vietnamese Americans Young Leadership Association. It's now changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, can we can we get a little background on that?
3: Sure. Um, so we moved just in the past year or so, more recently, to being known as Vela, to reflect the nature of the organizing we're doing. As Christy mentioned, you know she works primarily with the Latino community. And we have students and, and families coming from Vietnamese, Latino, and African American uh, backgrounds in our community. So we wanna really make sure we're representing the multi-ethnic, multi-racial, and multilingual uh, nature of our community. And so um, we've changed it to Vela, mm-hmm. um, which still has um, connection to the kind of Vietnamese history of the organization, because as our ED uh, Ming likes to say, Vela means home is in Vietnamese, so it would translate to home is New Orleans. <laughs>
1: That's a good, yeah,
0: so, uh, it does.
3: Yeah.
1: Huh. Ve meaning home. Yeah. La.
0: Yeah. Different and, spelling, but yeah, yeah. that's great. Uh, as for our listeners, because this is an audio program, I will point out we have two Latino individuals and one African American individual. So, despite the origins of the organization being very much Vietnamese, uh, we now definitely see why the name and the is changing. Not just the demographic of the staff, but also the communities you're working with sounds like is kind of the gist of that
1: and we have a a large population of young vietnamese youth still at our center um i think that with the name change or you know um it it's more inclusive now so everyone comes to our door and it's not just the center and living in that community for the past 16 years um it, it it opens the door more for our community to come in
0: and a more uh, more relevant and complex conversation, it sounds like. Right. That's great. <laughs> Vietnamese folks have been immigrating to New Orleans since the 70s, and large portions of the community remain primarily monolingual. Uh, the need for bilingual schools has been a long time coming. Can you describe your
1: experience with this issue in the community? Feel free to chime in. So, um, as I stated before, I used to be a parent liaison. I mean both of the community, the schools that we have in our community, which was at that time, which is Einstein Charter and also formerly Intercultural Charter School. Uh, this school has a large Vietnamese population and also um, a growing Latino population in our city. When I was hired as a parent liaison, I was a front office staff that would engage parents um, in questions they have, needs, or communication back and forth from teachers to parents. But I found myself on a daily basis interpreting for nurse, nurse, um, cafeteria workers, um, the principal, the social worker, and everyone in the entire school. Um, and, and it was an eight-hour job. Um, And every single day It was non-stop translation And you weren't Formally hired to be an interpreter? I was not hired to be an interpreter. I was hired to just give parents information from the district to parents, general information that the district wanted parents to know. Um, But a lot of my job just consumed in being an interpreter and hearing from teachers that they were very glad that I was there that the year that I was in the school um, because at that moment teachers was no longer being pulled out of the classroom to go interpret it for a parent that was in the office or if a child fell and you know was trying to tell the nurse where he or she was hurting you know they no longer had to go pull a teacher out of the classroom to do that because the only staff that they had that either spoke spanish was the esl teacher or the spanish teacher Mm -hmm. and in both times they would have to pull teachers out of the classroom so when I was at the school, there was a lot of different incidents that would happen. Um, And also parents needed um, someone to communicate their issues, what was happening, why their child was absent from school. And, you know, if their child wasn't feeling good, could we call them And this is what happened. Or if their child was, for many reasons, the parents was also calling the school. So, and then getting them involved. I think that's one thing that we haven't talked about when someone is there to speak the parent native language, the school involvement went from having maybe two to three parents volunteering in a year to having over 80 hours a week in parent volunteering wow. for the year. So the increase in the support because parents felt welcomed. And when they feel welcomed, they will contribute to their child's education and they were included in their child's education. So that's how you know being involved firsthand and also being the one that had to interpret for my mom when I first came um, to this country. Um, having that experience, I had um, a deep feeling saying, I don't want children to be in a classroom you know, interpreting for themselves because they are here to learn. Right. They're here to get, and some of the language that the teachers are asking students to translate, students had learned that you Wait. know that language they came here the so young maturity so, that needs to be. and then a lot of the times what we would see too was um, before I was hired was teachers calling another student that spoke the language to go interpret so that means privacy issues was no longer you know being private mm-hmm. you know because now I have to tell this student what's happening to me so this student have to tell the teacher and you know how students they will talk outside of that environment so it created a lot of bullying and a lot of so there was many things that one first firsthand I experienced and then was seeing it again like 25 years later when now I'm working in a school system and you know trying to make sure that this doesn't happen so you know that firsthand knowledge is what brought me to work on this issue and Juan is that consistent with your firsthand
0: experience what she's talking about
2: um yes actually uh um like she said uh students had to experience being pulled out of class um in order to translate for other students or like other parents for example huh um, so
0: not just situations that you were involved in but no. classmates and their parents. yeah
2: classmates myself um so it kind of took away from the i guess the education time which it's kind of strange since you go to school to you know learn rather than go to school to provide a service
0: for the authority yes for the fingers. authority <laughs>
2: authority figures Uh, strangers like parents that you have no idea who they are but they're enrolling their kids in a school Um, that's what I experienced firsthand
0: Chris how obviously there was a need there Uh, what was this what was the process to get to filing a complaint with the Office of Civil Rights Mm -hmm. I mean did we go through the principal first did we go through the school board and what was the reaction
3: so um, the process was, I think, as both Christy and Juan spoke to, um, trying to first work with schools on what was happening and trying to get um, some traction in terms of like changing some of these policies. Right? So they mentioned the interpretation as an, as, as an issue. right? But even small things as far as sending home documents in um, the native language of families, it wasn't happening. right? Messages that, that would be sent home say, oh, tomorrow, school is closed tomorrow, or your son or daughter is going on a field trip. Like, th- these things weren't happening, right? And no matter how hard we kind of, like, advocated for that to happen, it didn't.
0: And to who? To whom did you advocate? Uh,
3: we went, we individual went to, to individual schools, principals, administrations. Like, this is all things that we did over, you know, a process of more than a year. And, um,
0: and the school board, I assume? The as well. school
3: board, um, a little, they were included, but I think since the landscape we're in now is, is predominantly like charter, private-run schools, right. um, a lot of times we would get, oh well, that's Pass not, the buck, yeah, right? that's that's not a district issue. You have to go directly to that individual school board. Right?
1: And even at times, schools letting us know um, we have schools that, to the state, advertise themselves as the number one ESL providing schools, and we're saying. This is really not happening. So um, the first step was um, we don't just target any schools or OPSB or RSD. What actually was happening, the student was coming. When I resigned from the school, the students was coming more and more, such as Juan, his sister, um, you know, other youth, and saying, why did you leave? Now I have to do all of this work. Why are you not at the school? And, you know, like, and the parents started coming to Vela and saying, you know what do you do here and you know i still need to tell my child's teacher this or my son just was suspended and i have no idea why you know um so i was literally still working for the school, even though I was at in New Orleans, and not so, paid by, and the, I school, paid by but. the school, and one of the things that we always in, in in leadership training with our young folks is, don't bring us a problem if we can sit down and think about a solution. And how can we solve this problem? It's a lot of students, so we just. There was a report done many years ago at Vela called Raise Your Hand Campaign, where they identified a lot of issues right after Hurricane Katrina. One of the issues was language access, and so when I started at Vela, we just picked up on the previous work that has been, they've done a lot of advocacy, they've done training, they've talked to community members. So. Because we really didn't have anyone to work on that specific issue, we picked it back up when I started at Vail in New Orleans. But there was a lot of previous work since 2007 that was worked on language access, even with the city of New Orleans, not just school you know, advocacy. After that, we did a youth participatory research where students interviewed other students to talk about like, are you upset about this issue? They videotaped um, to talk about it, document it. And then what they the youth decided, and Juan included, and some of the youth leaders from the Youth Organizing Unity group that we have at Vela, decided to do a report called ESL Lost in the System. And the ESL Lost in the System is a report that tells individual stories. We did not name schools. Um, because we felt that we did not want to target a particular mm-hmm. school so so schools to think oh it's just this school that's having this particular issue what we did was we in general said stu- this is the student's story the student wrote their own story and they shared you know the, the their experience of what was happening in school we shared that report with our community at large And with the schools, So the schools were aware of this with their students saying, this is my experience. So when the school says that we haven't contacted them or the school board, this is a public report that we invited everyone. And we had a school. We had one school that came out, Mm -hmm. an administrator. And from that report, she said, thank you so much for sharing this report. I will start implementing some of your because it was twenty three recommendations on this report for the school very precise. So we, we this this individual on charter um, took some of these recommendations and said, you know what? Spoke at our you know report release and saying we are not perfect, but we definitely I will assure you that we will. So just like that school was invited, all of the schools were invited, and that's where we started getting. Once parents understood their rights and they found that their children was also going through a lot of struggle and not liking it, it's when we started doing more and more advocacy and that's when LDEF got involved To let them know their rights and that their rights have been violated, so that's the process that we went through, Mm -hmm. you know, to to file the complaint. So it sounds like you did actually get some positive feedback from some of the schools.
0: Yes, and the other schools that didn't respond, did they just not respond, or was it
1: hostile? What was the situation? Um, at, at some point, it was hostile. Um, some students did get some backlash of saying, why did you say these things? Um, even though we did not identify the school, um, that was some school that went almost like on a defense saying, we are the best and started doing a lot of advertising, saying that they're the best ESL program in the city. Um, so that was a lot of counter, you know, like trying to say what we were saying was not, um, you know, accurate. So so there is a statistic
0: that the number of public school students, uh, no, the number, yes, the number of public school students with limited English skills has nearly tripled in New Orleans from about 440 in 2006 to 1200 at the start of, uh, I think, 2013. And that the number of public or charter schools addressing that has increased. You're saying. That's not true, or is is there are they not addressing the specific recommendations that are practical and real?
3: I think it's both of those things okay. so we're saying that the number there has been an increase okay. and we kind of we think that it's it's actually higher than that number because that's all based off of uh self reported data uh-huh. right, mm-hmm. and so many schools don't have to report that because there's nothing mandating them to do so so um, we think that that number may be higher. And um, I think the reason why after following the report and trying to do all the advocacy work and kind of organizing around the issue with youth and parents as Christy and Juan talked about why we went that the root of the complaint is because we felt an investigation needed to happen. Like uh-huh. we had no idea you know, what, who was actually doing what and following through. And you know, many of these schools are receiving federal dollars, right, to do parent engagement around those issues. And if parents aren't being reached in their own languages, there's discrimination there, right? And so, as a small community organization, you know, we couldn't do that on our own. So, working with our young people and talking with them about it, you know, was something that they said, you know, we need to do this. We need to figure out what's happening.
0: And ALDEF was an instrumental part of this. So let's talk about the complaint. It's not actually a lawsuit. Mm-hmm. It is a complaint with the Office of Civil Rights, the correct. Attorney General's Office. Is that correct? Correct. And what is the relief you seek through this process as opposed to suing the school board?
1: Well, we all of the decisions made um, and how we operate at Vail New Orleans, the parents or the students makes the decision. We move how our community asks us to move. Um, so, you know, Personally, there was parents saying, you know, we're not here to bankrupt the school. We we don't want any personal. We just want to make sure that these services are done. And really doing a lot of the advocacy, uh, talking to a lot of the Vietnamese family, we were very excited to hear that they were backing us up and saying this should have happened 20 years ago. This should have happened when we first, you know, oh, my son is going to be so happy that, you know, that y'all are doing this. And, and I was like, well, you know, let us speak to your son. He's in college, but he did all of the translation for mm-hmm. me, you know. And just hearing these stories over and over and over in our community, And we knew that the Vietnamese community has gone through this, right? And and now we have a new influx of immigrants in our community that are, you know, they they don't speak English. And and so how can we learn from the lessons passed? Evidently, the schools did not learn.
0: And which I might add, you know, firsthand knowledge in the construction industry in the daytime, this city would not have been rebuilt without immigrant, immigrant communities coming to this city. Correct. Period. I Correct. mean, that that's just a black and white statement, you know, and there's been a lot of allegations of, uh, you know, illegal this, illegal that, and these these products are so federally funded that the layering of speculation into these allegations of, you know, illegal immigrants taking job has, that conversation has completely stopped. So, I mean, you're basically talking about immigrant families who have primarily – for the large population, at least in the construction industry, have the legal right to work here and have education here not having access to a language that they can communicate with the educators of their children.
1: And we talk a lot with the Latino community about this issue because we do have conversations with them about feeling welcomed in the city. A lot of um, the response that we hear is that at one point they were very welcomed and their families were welcomed. But now that they're they're embarking on educating their children and getting them to their process, this is where the barriers are starting to show where if you go try to register a child in school, they're now asking for a social security number. Mm-hmm. When by law, not even American children have, have you know have to have number. to provide social security numbers and also letting them know that hey they don't have to ask. We've heard story where school say you have to have a Louisiana driver's license to enroll their child in school, which is unheard of. So those are the stories we were hearing in hostile environment, not just hey we cannot I mean get out like it was I mean, this is
0: comparable to voting rights Correct. violations. It's just a yeah.
1: lot of like stories that the barriers were in, just like little roadblocks. It was huge walls that we even have um, a story of a family that sent her child back to Mexico because she could not get that child enrolled in school and she did not want her child not to be educated. So we heard horrific stories of things happening in our community that once we shared, and the most beautiful thing that I um, had the pleasure to see was getting the Vietnamese community in one room and the Latino community in that same room and saying, please raise your hand if your child ever had to translate for you. And everyone <laughs> in the room raised their hand. And also asking, have you ever felt that, you know, in a hostile environment, Everyone in that room raised their hand and actually having both of these communities look at each other and say, oh my goodness, I did not know that you went through these struggles. I thought it was just me. And that's what's the most beautiful thing about this complaint, that we're not just talking about Latino community. We're talking about Vietnamese community speaking up for themselves, even after 20 plus years, you know, almost 30 years and saying. This, this problem also happened. It still exists. It still exists. Yeah. And we want it to come and we're very excited that we filed this complaint. We're very excited with some of the improvements that we're seeing now in our school system because of it. Great. Now Juan, what
0: is your role as a youth activist in this process?
2: Um Well, I guess in this specific process, um I kind of just gave my story like off of uh what Miss Christie said. Um, back in uh, last year I believe whenever we uh, wrote and published our ESO loss in the system I guess report um, I gave my piece of the story like I gave my um, I guess two cents kind of thing I told my story on how you know, the assistant principal wanted me to translate for my mom, even though she spoke Spanish, uh, you know. Huh. I had it, like, right, you know. She, so the assistant principal was bilingual as well, which is kind of threw me and off. And
0: still needed, wanted you to translate.
2: Yes, and she was standing right in front of me face to face and face to my mother as well. Um, well, that's one story. Uh, another story was um, when I attended a different high school in the east, um, I, I injured myself, and the office decided to call my mom. And my mom only knew two words: uh, my name, obviously, and uh, the word hospital. Uh, so they said that I might need to go to the hospital, but she, but she said she heard that um, that I was at the hospital. Um. But the smart thing was that she went to the school to find out what was wrong. And you know, she found me there. And nothing really happened, but you know, I guess that's that's like the type of serious, horrific I guess, situations that you know can can lead up to not having translated material or like having an interpreter, like an interpreter hotline to call, like uh, a parent whose um, you know son daughter is like in need of like if they have asthma or like if they're injured, oh gosh, yeah. you know,
0: an asthma attack or something. Yeah, that. exactly. Do you work with other youth in this process? I do. Yeah. <laughs>
2: um, my sisters, uh, well, basically, like a lot of family. Uh, I kind of like rounded them up and be like, and told them to, you know, oh, get come on here, board. you know, get yeah. on board and join the bandwagon. <laughs> you know, tell your story. Like, tell people what you went through in school when you had to translate, kind of thing. And, you know, some also close friends from middle school and some new friends. And, uh, you know, we all have different um stories and situations i share but in the end like we all correlate we all tie together you know we all experience something and uh we want something to change in schools
0: and so have you had a response from the office of the attorney general the office of civil rights
1: so we received uh, right after we filed a couple of months after we filed we filed a complaint in august of 2013 and we received a response saying they were they have accepted our complaint, okay. which is the first step of saying they will start an investigation. Um, and it's been a year now. Well, in August it will be a year um, that we. Uh, we are seeing a lot of jif- uh, changes, um, some positive, positive changes. Uh, we definitely have um, a large room to grow into a 100% perfect system. Uh, but we definitely have seen some improvement. And um, at this moment, um, we also have received some settlements, um, resolution that the schools um themselves decided not to be investigated and just want to upfront and okay. you know do and and even though at this moment um, we cannot share the school that's wrote the resolution but um we still have concerns about the language and one example is we um we will advise teachers not to use students instead of we were, yes. you know of, you know thank you for advising <laughs> them not to use one. students right Number but one. you know we would like them to use stronger language of saying students will never be used as an interpreter right. in a school, so those are the things that you know the the lawyer largely that they try to use that we want to make sure that you know what we understand that they're writing a resolution, but we'll we'll continue and This this complaint was to me, and I want all of the schools, especially if they're listening, to be very aware that this is phase one. Um, We will come and talk about the ESL services that these students are receiving in the classroom, not having certified teachers in their classroom. So I just hope that they don't wait until we file before things are done. Mm -hmm. That they start being proactive about servicing these students because they're not asking for something that all of a sudden has happened. These federally funding, they've been receiving it for years and they're not servicing these students. So what happens to that? Uh, Some of the positive reforms that have resulted in this past year. Do you want to share some of those? Um, We have schools um, that contact Vela to refer bilingual interpreters in Vietnamese and Spanish. We have seen um, a lot of the schools that we actually filed the complaint on started sending uh, materials in three languages home. Uh, We have heard um, the robo-automatic calls that comes out in Vietnamese, Spanish, and English that they're sending it home. Um, And we are also hearing the automatic calls that comes home. In three language, you know, in English, Spanish, and Vietnamese, um, and also um, at parent-teacher conference, there's someone designated to translate if a parent needs at some of these schools. So those are some wins that we don't get to talk about that we're very excited to share. Huge wins. Yes. Huge wins.
0: I'd like to invite you guys to come back in the future and share the progress as we go along. And how can people keep current on what's going on? Is there, is there a place on your website? Can they call the office? Do you have any projects or links you want to share with everyone before we Yeah.
3: Yeah, um, I would say check out our website first and foremost, um, vela-no.org. Um, we normally post a lot of news updates on the front page of the website. Um, So you can follow us there. Also our Facebook. We have a a Facebook for the page, which has kind of more of some of the fun stuff that's going on, as well as news updates. And then, of course, our our Twitter. Um, I think those are are some of the best places just to to find out what's what's going on. We keep those pretty updated. You can find a copy of the ESL report that Christy and Juan talked about earlier on the website as well.
0: Well, we're tying up the show now. I'd like to thank all three of you for coming out here and sharing with our listeners, not only your personal stories, but also what this movement's about and the direction of it. Thank you so much. Thank Thank
3: you. you. you.
0: Bye now, and thanks for listening to Vietnola. Our show is produced by Kim Vu, Tom Lasher, and Grant Morris. Our technical director is Chris Kehoe. Our theme song was composed by Taylor Smith and performed by the Swamp Lilies. The fabulous audio quality of this show is brought to you in part by PreSonus Audio Electronics. PreSonus makes some of the best audio recording and live sounding products, including Studio One music production software, Studio Live digital mixing consoles, Air Studio monitors, and much more. Visit www.presonus.com for more information. You can follow us on Twitter at It's New Orleans. You can like us on Facebook. We're at It's New Orleans. And you can subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes and Stitcher. You can listen to our other Vietnola shows on our website, itsneworleans.com, as well as our other shows, Happy Hour, Out to Lunch, Mindset, True to the Game, and Midnight Menu Plus One. Keep up with all kinds of fun happenings here at Vietnola by getting on our mailing list. Sign up on our website, itsneworleans.com vietnola was recorded today in the lovely city of new orleans if you'd like to be a guest on vietnola we'd love to have you drop us a line you'll find all the information you need on our website vietnola is produced by ino broadcasting for itsneworleans.com for everyone here at vietnola thanks for joining us today we look forward to seeing you back here next week for our next episode of vietnola until then i'm Kim Wu. bye-bye
3: Summer's almost over, but at Old Navy, the styles are as hot as ever. Get to Old Navy now for 30% off all jeans, 40% off all dresses, and 50% off all tees. That's right, get 30, 40, and 50% off all your favorite styles for the whole family, plus up to 75% off clearance. Hurry in fast. These deals won't last. The sale ends soon at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid in-store 822 to 828 and online 822 to 824. Excludes in-store clearance, bubbles, active, licensed, and men's package tees.